This is the Author Archive podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to the newsman George Alagaya about his book, A Passage to Africa. When he was a lad, his family moved to Ghana, and that comes out in the book, as well as his later calling as a newsman. And when I met him, I said, well, this book, George, it reads as if you partly, at least, define yourself as an African. Well, part of me as an African. I, I'm, I'm, at, um, I'm at home in Africa, certainly, and, and I guess the book is, is an attempt, really, to reconcile um, two Africas. You mentioned the fact that I was, you know, in the news business, and it's an attempt to reconcile the Africa that I portrayed as a newsman with the Africa that I knew um, many, many years ago. Um, as a child, growing up um, from the age of sort of roughly five to twelve, I went to school in Africa. Um, so there are two Africas. That was an Africa of hope. I reported on Africa of despair, and I'm trying to bring the two things together. Yeah, because uh, I think at the beginning of chapter three, you say, forget the Africa you know. This is a wonderful place. This is a joyful place. This is a place where my family went, and we drove in a black Mercedes 190D. Or was it a powder blue one? It was a, well, <laughs> my dad, uh, I think, it described it as pastel blue, and we realised very quickly he was colourblind because it actually turned out to be battleship grey. Is, is the colour. Yeah, no, I, I say forget everything you think you know about Africa. Forget everything, frankly, that I've told you about Africa as, as, a, as a BBC correspondent, because there is more to it. And I think one of the problems is, is that, you know, TV news in particular is quite a blunt instrument. It's not great with, with texture, with complexity. Um, which is what telling a story really is about. And, and so I'm, you know, this isn't to say everything I, I've told you on TV is wrong, but simply that there's more to come, that there's, there's more of it. And this book is an attempt to kind of embellish and, and complement uh, what, what I've done on TV. I think the most shocking, the most heart-rending part, particularly for a parent, is the Rwanda genocide, where you write yeah. about that. And you quite honestly say that you go from dwelling to dwelling, tent to tent, person to person, looking for those stories that will touch even you, because you, you might be temporarily inured to the situation. Look, I think it's something that I'm sure every correspondent who's covered disasters must go through. And the big danger in this, in this business is that people's suffering becomes a kind of, you know, kind of wallpaper. It's just there in the background, and what really matters is the words you choose to write about them. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the newsroom is constantly asking you for new images. Um, and, and you have to be careful. It's like a drug. You want something more and more powerful. And stuff that, that shocked you on Monday may not shock you by Friday. And, and I've tried to be honest about that in the book and say, you know, there is a bit of that in the way in which we go out and gather the material. I like the personal stories in the book. There's a story of Seth, yeah. who you took on. And what, what was he for you? Um, Look, he was, uh, well, what it said in my expense claim to the BBC was that Seth Ngarambe, interpreter, translator, I think, probably not even as grand as interpreter. In truth, what he became was, was friend, confidant, navigator. Um, he was a person who, who, who taught me through what had happened in the Rwandan genocide. And he told me he, he was a victim of the genocide, or at least his wife was. His wife was killed. She was from the minority Tutsi ethnic group and, and was killed. I subsequently found that, that he'd been accused of, of taking part in the genocide or at least allowing his wife to be dragged away um, by these militia and, and 
it was, you know, the thing, the easy part of being a foreign correspondent is go and see these things and make judgments from afar. You're never actually involved. I mean, you get quite close to it with the camera, but you're not involved. And suddenly I was confronted with a genocide up close and personal, as Americans like to, like to put it. You know, here was a person I called my friend and I had to decide, God, do I, do I consider him a, a, a sinner or someone who sinned against? And, well, I mean, truth be told, I never resolved the, the conundrum because I did find the person who accused him. And the, the person who accused Seth spoke very credibly, broke down in tears because he was so upset in the telling of it. And I never, to be honest, had the heart to go back and find out again from Seth and say to him, look, you know, what is the real story? I, I just didn't want to know. No, but you also say, how can you possibly judge because we, we haven't ever been in that position? And I hadn't realized that the background to that genocide was years of kind of softening up, years of mind changing, years of mind control, to make it possible. A classic propaganda, and, and that's why I think some Rwandans actually find it very hard to believe the reaction of the West, because they feel the signals were so obvious, you know, um, and, and there are many important countries, France among them, for example, Western countries, that were arming um, the government that in the end was responsible for the genocide. Um, and, and there was propaganda over many, many years, and people were brought up on this diet and say, you know, you've got to kill the Tutsis, because if you don't, they will become a master race. Very chilling stuff. And, well, the sad thing, as I say in the book, is, is that, you know, the, the reaction of the international community was to withdraw you diplomats, say. diplomats in, in, in New York couldn't even bring themselves to use the word genocide, lest to using the word genocide would mean that they would have an obligation to do something about it. They just turned away. Um, I mean, we're talking October 2001, where the chilling events in New York are very close in the memory. And you think, how can people behave like that? But you read your book, and people do behave like that. I mean, there's, there's a description of a child meeting her death in here, which I cannot bear to read again. People are capable of ghastly, appalling behavior. I mean, look, let's not even try to get into the minds of, of those people who were responsible for what went on in New York. I mean, you know, we called them terrorists. They were mass murderers. They're almost beyond hate. But it's worth saying that the world, parts of the world have become so unjust, parts of the world have become so poor, so difficult to live in, that some people consider their own life so cheap and indulge in all kinds of violence. Um, that isn't for, for, for a second to justify mass murder or terrorism, but simply to explain the circumstances in which that kind of thing can, can come about. There are villains in this book, but there are also heroes. Mandela, you say he's not the first of the new order. You, I think you describe him as, the, as the, the last and the best of the old. Why do you do that? Well, because I think, you know, I, I lived in South Africa for four years and, and followed him, and a lot of people I think saw in Mandela this kind of saintly figure that something new, oh, Africa at last had produced a leader that we can respect. And the truth of the matter is, if you happen to be as old as I am and have watched Africa, is that Kwame Nkrumah, the Africa's first president, went to jail, came out and spoke reconciliation. Jomo Kenyatta, even after the Mau Mau Rebellion, a violent um, struggle for freedom in that country, went to jail, came out and spoke reconciliation. And that's what Nelson Mandela did. The thing about Nelson Mandela, he's did it with such conviction, with such moral authority, um, that, 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 that really 
you know, he, he did what the other should have done and he did it better. What he didn't do was address the second stage of liberation, which is to do with e the economic consolidation of freedom. I don't know, even know if he tried to do that. That's for people like Thabo Mbeki, who came in after him in South Africa, Yoweri Museveni in Uganda. That's a massive challenge that they face. Now, the back of this is your story, the story of George Alagaya, a family you were born in? Sri Lanka. Ceylon, as it was then. Yes. So, so what is the group that you identify with? It, which country do you mean? No, but I mean, which group within that country? Uh, because you, you talk about, are you Tamil? I'm Tamil. Yes. Um, we're Tamils, and that's why we left the country, because my parents felt that, that it wasn't a place that we were going to prosper. Mm. Um, I, you know, I've traveled so much around the world um, in, in, in such um, difficult circumstances, and really, the last question I now ask a person is, where do you come from? Where are your allegiances? Now, that's why I asked you last, because at the beginning of the book, it's important to you. Yeah. Um, and you talk very honestly about things like skin colour. Yeah. You talk about your father's religion, which yeah. I was particularly interested in at, at the moment. So, so at the beginning of the book, there's a strong identification, which is kind of diffused by the end. Because by the end, I've, I've learnt the lesson, I suppose, that what matters is, is how people react, what they do, what they achieve, what hopes they have, but and not to define them by simply where, you know, which country they happen to have been born in or which ethnic group they're supposed to belong to. Where do you feel at home now? Britain. Britain is, is my home. Africa is a home. A Passage to Africa. It's published by Little Brown. It's absolutely splendid. Parts of it are chilling. Parts of it make your stomach wretch. But you should read it. It's wonderful. George Allegaire, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.